Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 284 of the Matinee Cast. It's a movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Do you have people in your life where it's hard to remember a time before them? Like, you can pinpoint where and when they showed up, but they've become such a presence in your life that it is strange to consider that they weren't always there. That's today's guest. You see... What started over 10 years ago as comments, emails, podcasts, and eventually tweets turned into being neighbors, sharing major life experiences, career advice, and a warm friendship. Oh, there's also been a lot of tech support too, but that's also entirely been one-sided. I can pinpoint almost exactly when it all started, but in so many ways, it feels like it's just always been. So I'm happy that he's back on the show and continues to call me his friend. Originally from Jamaica, now from Midtown Toronto, he's the proprietor of G-Man Reviews and the Unnamed Movie Podcast. Andrew Robinson is here. How are you, man? Yo, I'm I'm good. I've I've started a beer. I don't know about you, but I got a I'm, cup of tea here. I'm going back into the old school when I used to <laughs> when I used to drink tea on the podcast in court in keeping with my avatar. Um, when when I couldn't use your name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I had I had a company that didn't like that I was doing things online. So I had to keep it quiet. It wasn't oh, wow. it wasn't what my name was. It was why. Well, on episode 284, we are going to be discussing after Yang. We're going to be flipping the record over to play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about Andrew. This is Know Your Enemy. All right, kids, get set. This is going to take a second. Andrew first appeared on episode 1818. We talked about salt. You have talked, by the way, about the strangest cross-section of films, I think, of any singular guest. Eh. Good answer. <laughs> you're, just, you're, you're just like, you're just like, I have no one this week. Well, no, it's just, it's been, <laughs> you'll see, it's been a ride. We talked about salt. The first, we learned, the first film Andrew ever saw in a theater was The Nightmare Before Christmas. The last film he'd seen at the time was The Long Goodbye. The worst film he'd ever seen is The Man Who Fell to Earth. They're making a miniseries out of that now. I refuse. Uh, it has Chiwetel, and I should want to watch it, but I refuse. Gotcha. At the time, the unseen classic or essential was Schindler's List, and the films he wished he made was Reservoir Dogs or Predators slash The New Predator on the predication that he could make it better. Andrew returned on episode 67. We talked about Premium Rush. We learned the film he digs that nobody else does is Speed Racer. The film everybody else likes that he doesn't is Rear Window. The last film to make him cry was The Fountain. In the movie of his life, he'd be played by Jason Segel, and the movie he was watching next was The Seventh Seal. On episode- can, we, can we take a moment to recognize the fact that the world has come around to Speed Racer? It, it just takes time. Everything gets reconsidered when you give it enough time. That's all it takes. On episode 79, Andrew returned to talk about the FP. We learned the film that made his love of cinema turn a corner is The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. His first date movies were Ray and The Heartbreak Kid. His sick day movie is The Blues Brothers. The last film to leave him speechless was Schindler's List. And his film epitaph would be from Butch and Sundance. Next time, let's go somewhere like Bolivia. Andrew came back on episode 148. We talked about Beasts of No Nation. We learned the film he really digs but never needs to watch again is Happiness. The film that genuinely freaked him out is Death Proof. The film that always makes him laugh is Blazing Saddles. His favorite movie soundtrack is Quadrophenia. And the film he loves but seemingly nobody else has heard of is Closed Curtain. 
Andrew came back on episode 177 for a birthday show where we talked about Out of Sight. We learned when he goes to the cinema, he likes to sit middle-middle. If he could go on a date with any movie character, he'd like to go on a date with Anna Morales from A Most Violent Year. That's Jessica Chastain's character. The dirtiest films, plural, he's ever seen are Irreversible and Ninja Scroll. His favorite black and white movies are Manhattan, Failsafe, and Witness for the Prosecution. And the films he'd like but nobody would expect him to like are classic movie musicals west side story seven brides for seven brothers that kind of ilk and to return for episode 196 we talked about isle of dogs we learned that at home or in a theater he doesn't actually snack he has water at best uh, if he could go to a movie world and spend a day in it he would like to go to the movie world of call me by your name or any travel movie where romance is involved his favorite good scene in a bad movie is the james franco christoph Waltz introduction in the green hornet the most violent movie he's ever seen is irreversible and the movie monologue he would like to give is the ending monologue in the world's end we're free to do what we want any old time Finally, Andrew returned for another birthday show, episode 224. We talked about Raging Bull. We learned that if he met a person who'd never seen a movie before and he needed to show them one, he would show them Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. The film that best embodies his personality is R100. The movie he hated on first watch but eventually came to enjoy is Under the Skin. The remake or adaptation he feels is better than the source material is The Shining. And if he could bring back any artist back from the dead he would choose Satoshi Kon from who made uh, anime films like Paprika. So it is time for the seldom heard round eight. Andrew Robinson, if you could sit down to any cinematic meal, what would you choose? So I should have gone down the rabbit hole of just picking more Satoshi Kon stuff to talk about, but you know, <laughs> um, I do, I do bring anime for this answer um, because I, I don't know how you feel. I mean, I know you've seen probably a few Ghibli films. I know you did that anime marathon a while back. I just feel like anime food is better than real food. <laughs> like when you just look at it, like even talking about this, like I think back to turning red earlier this year, when you see that scene of them cooking yeah. dinner yeah. and they just put the effort into making it just look incredible. And the things that came to mind, one from a series, um, which is Yuri on ice, which was a series that was very popular, like around four ish years ago, um, was an ice skating show. Um, and the main character's favorite meal is pork katsudon, which is like a pork bowl, Oof, a pork fried rice bowl. Sounds good. Um, and it looks really incredible. And the other one, which is probably more well-known, comes from a Ghibli film, which is, for me, would have to be the Spirited Away pig buffet <laughs> scene, right? <laughs> and let's all admit it, we're all going to become pigs if we end up there, right? It's It just looked too good. I mean, the, the thing that I, th I think is interesting about animated food is there's no styling involved, you know? Like food styling is actually surprisingly hard. I say this as somebody who studied photography and had a whole unit on food where you learn things like, I mean, I mean, it's, it's slightly different now because photography is digital, but back when it was analog and you needed to count on how it would capture, you, you learn things like soup is often paint, milk is often paint or glue, um, strawberries are painted things are dipped in vinegar like like it, it's actually really tricky to make something look good like you you actually render render it inedible usually um yeah. things, or, or things like you would find out that like cereal is like stacked in such a way like it's usually sitting on a block so that it mounds up over the bowl what i love about animation is there's none of that they just need to draw whatever comes to their brain and make it look as amazing as they want to make it look 
but also on top of that, what I love so much, and I think I think this is what I love about animation in general, right? Um, it's something I remember hearing someone talk in relation to retro game styles today, where people are making games in the style of retro games, sure. right? Where if you were to pick up a game made in 1989 and just press play and run with it, you would start to feel all of the things that you've grown out of, the things that don't work anymore. <laughs> okay. But for the people who grew up on that and have the nostalgia for it, like when they play the games that are made today in that, in that vein, in that style, um, it becomes a process of what you're, dis- what you're rendering for people is not necessarily the actual true v- version of what existed in 1989, but the version that we've created in our heads, mm. right? The version that we remember, which is of our experience playing it. And somehow that's how I feel a lot about animation, which is that I understand that what I'm seeing isn't exactly a one-to-one fact, but it feels right, if and only because it's a version that exists in my head mm-hmm. and it matches the feeling of what the real thing feels like. Right. More so than sometimes even film or anything real. I did notice that always when there's scenes of food, I, I tend to find my mouth watering and I'm like, this is a cartoon. Why am I hungry? Oh, Ghibli was great for it. And Andrew Robinson, what is a movie that reminds you of home? I mean, there's so many I could pick from. Um, things that like music related is probably the easiest piece where we could talk about movies which are literally from Jamaica, like um, the harder they come. But when I was thinking about this, I thought about a movie I saw recently, like within the last year. And it's a movie from Senegal um, that came out in 1968, which I covered on the podcast during our African marathon um, by Usmane Sembene uh, Mandabi. Spell that? Mm-hmm. Man Dabi, M-A-N-D-A-B-I. It reminds me so much of Jamaica, if not because all of the societal elements of it reminds me of Jamaica. It's a story of a man who he has to pick up a document um, and the man who's to give him the document at the post office needs a identity card for him to pick it up. He doesn't have one. He's just a poor man in the side of the country and illiterate doesn't really know much and he's like all right cool i have to go down to the next office to go and get my identity card the man who goes to the next office said i need this document in order to do that and he has to go to the next office to go and do three <laughs> other things and then another person shows up saying where's my money and like if it, it, it's like a it's like a movie in which like society of where people don't really care about these things while the government sits atop you putting on all these rules and requirements for the man to do the simplest thing in the world, right? It is a world in which there is bureaucracy upon bureaucracy for no reason other than it exists. Part of it was colonialism, which is also part of why it might have reminded me a lot of Jamaica. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's that's interesting to me that we're talking about how one country reminds you of another country you've you know i have come to you several times being like hey andrew there's a bunch of jamaican movies i have to pick from which should i watch your answer is usually none of them uh yeah so it's in a way i kind of feel like you're you're steering in another direction uh you know for 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 sake of story and quality um i'm excited because actually this movie's on the criterion channel so i can catch up with it you can easily. pop it up like right when you're done yeah yeah i, I probably will you probably see it coming on my letterbox pretty quick is that that wasn't like your experience growing up or was that like i mean it it in some cases it is like i mean 
I remember when I went to Trinidad and I had to go and get a certified letter in order to then get another document to then apply for another document to eventually <laughs> get a work permit to work in Trinidad. Um, it's the same like when I was doing things here where when I got here, they're like, oh, you need letters from people. And then I had to like mail Trinidad to hope to dear God that their government was good enough to send me a police report. <laughs> Sorry. So the whole story is basically this guy just going through tedium. Bureaucracy. Bureaucracy. Right? Okay. That's the whole I story. Mean, I mean, it, the rest the, of it is plot. just like it building and building. So like he's getting money from like a family friend. And then the mother of the family friend is showing up to him to be like, I heard you got some money for me, but he hasn't gotten it yet because he's in the process okay. of doing the bureaucracy. There's a whole bunch of like things going on. Okay. I need, and I people in the town here have got the money and they just start showing up looking for him. It's magnificent. I need to see this so quick. That is a great answer. Um, I it's I, I still haven't been to your home. I certainly haven't like lived there, so I have no idea. But that I like when you explain it that way, I, I do see I do see what you're saying. And um, thank you. That's a great answer. Um, okay, so Andrew Robinson, what is a random movie line that you quote often? And just because this is a seldom heard set of questions, we're specifying we're not talking about a quote we're not talking about something that you would see in a montage on the oscars or something you know stenciled into the wall of a movie theater multiplex we are talking about a random line that somebody would probably recognize but is not we're not in kansas anymore and your answer is oh wow i feel like the two answers i wrote down are kind of too obvious then i feel terrible what do you got um one of them is very very recognizable which is 60 percent of the time it works every time that's not no no Um, i'll allow that okay right um from anchorman one of my favorite movies i adore (laughs) that i like i and it's a movie i actually didn't like the first time either right okay Right, it's a movie that's grown on me so much that I love the sequel, and I know that that's a lesser movie. Right, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but the other one that came to my mind, which I feel is probably more random, okay, and it's from a movie I feel a lot of people don't like, okay, but it stuck with me. You are a murderer of love. What is that? There was a movie that came out with um, the Super F Man. I'm trying to remember his name right now. The comedian that no one likes, as well as Steve Carell. The movie's called Dan in Real Life. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, Dane <laughs> Cook. Dane Cook, right? Um, Dane Cook. And th- at some point in the movie, the uh, Steve Carell has like many daughters. One of his daughters has a boy show up at their, their vacation home. And then he sends the boy away. He's like, look, we're not dealing with none of this nonsense, which good good tip just send the boy away right. just, just be like, you'll see him again when we get back home I, and then we can talk about this whole relationship as a thing but send him away the girl is crying out in the field watching her man run away and she screams at her father you're a murderer of love okay and that line has stuck with me and i love to say it. <laughs> i i love that line uh, i i i, I never i've never seen that movie but i know the movie uh I now need to understand context. Could you please give me a for instance of how you would use that line in a, in a conversation? Anytime someone says, like, say you're presenting your joy, like Speed Racer is the greatest movie of all time. And someone spends 20 minutes talking to you about how the movie is trash. Right. You are a murderer of my love. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, my God. 
right? But, it's the equivalent of Ted Lasso, where I'm like, why can't you let me be happy, right? Yeah. <laughs> With Roy Kent in the in the shawarma store, right? It's that emotion just in a line. There's, I mean, what that <laughs> reminds me of a lot as a line, as a random line, is a movie that you and I both love, Almost Famous, when I tried really hard not to pick from that, I, I appreciate that. Um, when a, a much younger Zoe Deschanel is running out of the house and yelling back at her mother, played by Frances McDormand, she hollers back, "This is the house of lies." <laughs> yep, that's that one word. Yeah, that's that's very um, much that's very much in the same box. Okay, you are a murderer of love, and sixty percent of the time it works, a hundred percent of the time. Ah, uh, yep, random. Good work. Okay, so we're going to sound a spoiler gong here just in case people want to skip ahead. So, Andrew Robinson, what is your all-time favorite twist ending? It has to be Gone Girl. Why? So, I think it just has to do with the fact that eventually at some point, when we talk about twist movies, like they kind of come and go in my mind at least there are a lot i could name but there's something about the way fincher structured the movie and has to do specifically with the thing everyone infantilized in that film for like three years until we were finally past it um which is the way from start to finish that movie recontextualizes its opening and ending shot Mm -hmm. of looking down at your wife Mm -hmm. in your in your arms and knowing start at the start of that movie where you're like, oh, he's probably just looking at his wife lovingly, being like, oh, it's so great to have you here. To the end of the movie where you're like, oh, he's terrified for his life. <laughs> <laughs> he's wondering when he's going to get stabbed next. <laughs> you don't actually really care for twist endings. You don't fall for them. What, what's I mean, your... it's not about falling. It's 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 when I was thinking about the question, trying to think about something memorable enough that I'm willing to like go into like, oh, this one was great. Because I mean, I feel like twist endings, I enjoy them at the time. Yeah. Right. Like I can talk about movie X, Y, Z and I can be like, oh, that was a great like thing that happened in the movie. Right. But like now thinking about the question, like it's not something that becomes the piece. It's it's kind of like the Shyamalan argument, right? It's like as th- as time moves on, it's the part I don't think too hard about to be like, oh, the twist. <laughs> you know, I have always said that a, a great movie with a twist ending should succeed despite the twist. Like you should still be able to watch it even when the surprise is gone and it should still hold together. If you're just entirely relying on pulling the rug out from under the audience in the last 10 minutes, then you're screwed. Like, you know, there's no such thing as reverse engineering a great movie. Some of them work, some of them don't. Like some of them just, the the, the second you've seen it, the one time it's like, yeah, that's great. And I, I wonder sometimes if people just kind of remember them with fondness. Other times I wonder if people start to see them in a new light. So a film that I like to come back to that's similar to the one you're talking about is Lady Macbeth. And there's not a twist ending, right? But it's just, you see her sit on that fainter couch, like Florence Pugh in her big, like in her breakout movie. You see her sit, you just don't, I know what you want to do. Don't do it. I'm more happy that no one is doing it right Thank now. you. Good. <laughs> you see her sit on that fainter couch. I hate you so much. <laughs> it's in your head, though. It is. Though. I hate you both, actually. 
you see her sit on that fainter and give you a very similar pose and expression. And the first time you're thinking one thing and the second time it's like, well, there's a lot more shit going on here in that pose and expression. And I'm, I'm never going to look at it the same way. Yeah. Fincher's Fincher's approach to Amy Dunn in that movie, in the beginning and the end um, it's, it's yeah, really drastic kind of kicks you in the nuts, you know, especially just in the whole multiple twists of the knife that come in, in that like whirlwind last 10 minutes of that movie. Like there is twist after twist after twist, not even twist, but it's just, they, they just really kind of lay it on stack after stack in the last 10, 15 minutes of that movie. Definitely. Um, you're talking about this twist idea and it, it reminds me of a thing where I, I, I love to show my wife all of these movies and I love to recognize which ones work for her and which ones don't yep. um, just out of just pure fascination because she is not one of us film people. That's right? a good thing. I think it's just a good thing. Yeah. Um, and so every once in a while I'll, I'll catch her on a movie where I'm like, I don't know if this will work. Um, and then she'll come to me and be like, I don't care that this movie is four hours long. I, I, we need to finish this tonight. And I'm like, so happy. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want you to leave anytime soon, but Andrew Robinson, when you gotta go, what movie death would you choose to be your demise? I thought so much of stealing your joke answer to this. Um, my joke, which you said for many years, I don't know if it's your joke answer or your real answer, which you've told me your answer to this question is, um, golden eye with no on a top it's you're, cl- you're close but not quite it's haywire oh similar similar idea different woman okay All plus right. a gun to, um, plus a gun to speed things along and that's not a joke <laughs> um but i ended up writing down um the ballad of buster scruggs and specifically the death of buster scruggs himself because at least you get a nice song on the way out <laughs> Yeah, he's in a he's in a shootout. It's quick, <laughs> you know. And you get a song on the way out. And you man. get a song on the way out. All right. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's really all you could want. Um, all right, great answer, and thank you for telling the whole world my answer too. We're gonna talk to Andrew when he's here next time. I'll have to write a whole new round of questions. I don't know what else gonna ask people after eight rounds of things. It is time for the new slang. We're gonna talk about after Yang right after this. After Yang was directed and written by Kogonada. It's based on the book written by Alexander Weinstein. It stars Justin Lin, Colin Farrell, Jody Turner-Smith, Malaya Emma Tiandra Widyaja, nailed it, Haley Lou Richardson, and Clifton Collins Jr. After Yang is about a family, Jake and Kira, who have adopted a daughter named Mika and brought in for her a synthetic older brother, call it an android if you want, named Yang. One day, Yang glitches out on the family, and the question of what to do about him starts to abound. Think about your usual questions surrounding a laptop that you bought refurbished from a reseller. But, you know, it's people. In searching for a solution, Jake makes a series of discoveries. Not only was Yang recording moments of his daily life, but it would appear as though Yang had feelings. 
The recordings are beautiful, poetic, even romantic. Jake begins to learn more and more about the humans that affected Yang before he came into the family's life and wonder just what it is that brings life, real or synthetic, its meaning. It's difficult to decide where to start with after Yang. On the one hand, the film is about something very simple, and on the other hand, it's about something so bloody vast. Much like a film we discussed two episodes ago, this is a story about everything, everywhere, all at once. So, pop quiz, hotshot, where would one start discussing after Yang? I think for me, a movie like this, there are many movies I feel fall into this category for me. Um, a movie like this is a movie in which you entirely have to talk about it in its, in, in, as being a vibes movie. It's a movie that gives you a vibe, gives you an emotion, gives you a feeling. And there's no specific scene that you kind of go like, that's the story of this movie. Because the story is ancillary to the vibe. Right? The story is there. But even with this movie, it's not a plot in which there is a, a problem and a resolution. It's more that something happened, then you discovered something, and then you feel things for the rest of the movie. <laughs> 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 and there's no resolution to feeling things. No. It's just you felt them. Yes. Um, and the movie is one of those that does it really well in making you feel things. Making It's not so much... Because it, it, we can talk about the technology and the science fiction all we want, but it never really puts the question to you as to can your laptop make you have feelings? Right? Can you can you see your laptop that you've had for ten years? Be like, I remember when I used to play Mario Brothers on you, and then not want to throw it in the trash because it's broken. Right? right? That's not the vibe that this movie is giving you. It's more completely insular. Where, as you're talking about, when you when you mentioned what was going on in this film, as um, Colin Farrell is seeing all of these memories, um, some of them are surprises, like him realizing that there was a life before his family to this, to Yang. Um, some where he's like, I didn't know Yang could have connections with other people, which makes me question, if we're now going to science fiction, makes me question what the purpose of Yang was. I always love movies that take us to the the near, quote unquote near future where everything seems pretty much the same, but there's like one or two differences. And so they're very much like, you want to imagine that their minds, their morals, their thoughts are all kind of the same as to how we are right now. But then when you see the relationship that Yang has with this family and then you think of it entirely from a functional purpose, it's strange as to how this all intermingles where he goes and he buys his daughter a laptop thinking that it will help her engage with people and find out this connection. And at the same time, the way that he ends up connecting with the family feels so, so much more integral mm -hmm. than just being a laptop for his daughter yeah to your point i think the film really does go out of its way to underline like connection whether it's connection with objects because i do believe that there is a certain connection with objects maybe like with tech is really strange because the life cycle on tech is so short so short but you realize more and more, and I say this as somebody who cleaned out an apartment and a house in the last 12 months, you realize that there is a connection to notebooks and toys and um, even just like tchotchke bric-a-brac that's on a shelf. Like you, you have an emotional connection to this stuff. And yet for some reason, 
that doesn't yet extend to something that has a silicone chip in it. But maybe that's coming, you know, and maybe maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's part of what this movie wants to say, although I don't think it is. But there is an attachment. There will be an attachment at some point or another to tech. Um, I think the one thing I, I really wanted to start with with this film is this is a film you know we talked about in our twist ending section um the idea of films holding up and revisiting them and what do you really think they're about like there is a lot of movies that are very very um cerebral and esoteric and abstract and you come back to them for like you you watch them for the first time especially if you're young and you're like man this was about so many things and this was about life and afterlife and metaphysics and on and on and on and on and then you watch it five years later and you're like what the holy shit that was like you know introduction to philosophy and it's hot garbage but i do think that this is a film that actually does reward revisit and reflection and contemplation like i've i ended up watching this film basically two and a half times in a month like i I watched it fully the first time we talked about doing it for this podcast so i watched it again and then there were a couple things i wanted to go over so i ended up like kind of watching a piece of it for this for like my notes but that piece kept going and going and going and by the time i was done i was like i just basically watched the movie again just shy the first 25 minutes because i know what i know what happens there how dare you skip the dance oh (laughs) i know um every time i came back to it i was just caught up in more and more and more in the um cadence of the words in the point of view of the photography of the little philosophies getting thrown around in the in the looks exchanged by the actors we're conditioned to believe that the films that we should revisit are the fun and brainless ones like the, the ones that you can just put on the background and cook dinner if you need to but i really did enjoy coming back to this movie and looking again and thinking again and feeling again it was it was quite unexpected i actually think a lot about coconata um and i think this is strange for us to talk about if like to think about this guy who was basically a video essayist and now is like doing films columbus and now this i i'm fascinated by his contemplative tone to his movies so far where it is so very it's so very much like i'm i just wrote a thing because i was thinking about technology i was thinking about life and i was thinking about how these things change us um made me think about all the silly ai movies that we've seen over time where people talk about artificial intelligence not necessarily taking over let's keep those to a side but the ones that grow over time and become more mellow with life um or even when you talk about movies where people live forever and they just kind you kind of see them being like i've seen it all and yang kind of feels like that where he's like i've seen it all and i'm just here to have the vibes with you guys because you guys can tell me about stuff um it's it's a film in which moments that stand out to me now start to be the moments like as colin farrell is talking to his daughter and he sees her come out at night and he's like, oh, you're awake. Like, what's going on? And he's like, I just want some water. And it's like, and she starts telling him about when Yang was there, what 
what they would do together and he'd be like why didn't you just get yang to get it for he's like no because i like going for my water and like and thinking about these things in not necessarily the function things exist as but the function that we create for them mm-hmm. right um where in the function that was developed for yang was entirely about helping her connect but it became more of a function of her just having a sibling, which is weird. (laughs) (laughs) And at the same time, the rest of it is just Colin Farrell opening his mind to what is possible that he never thought was at the beginning. I think what he ends up opening his mind to is we've seen a lot of movies where the inciting incident is a person caring about tech. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, as a, for instance, something like her, um, we, we, what we're not seeing as much is a film where tech cares about us. You know, you see it kind of in the Pinocchio type way of, of AI and I'm a real boy type of thing, but we don't often see tech care about us in the way of, um, contemplation and not just care about us individually like not care about one singular person but to care about life to recognize um beauty in the world and to recognize um delicacy and um history and and presence in the world you don't see that very often like tech is still positioned very cold you know i i did really enjoy this movie where you know, it raises the question of these things that you are using and let us not, you know, mince facts. They are like people are using Yang, you know, whether they consider him a member of the family or not. Like he is he is he is a thing, not a person. I loved the idea that the movie posed to us the question of this thing that we're using. Is it possible that it actually cared about its time, you know, in our in our circle? I think the other thing I kind of want to lead on to is the the married relationship as Jodie Turner um, is playing the wife and spends most of the time worrying about it as a thing, mm-hmm. right? Where she's like, this thing is taking up our time. This thing, we should move on from it. We should have the process where we're like, Mika, it's not happening. Right. <laughs> um, you should come home, go back to work and we move past it. We're not buying another one. It's not going to work out. Colin Farrell is the one who is completely enveloped in trying to find answers and trying to learn more. Um, the first time in this movie, someone said techno sapien. I, my mind was blown. Where I'm like, <laughs> someone has a name for this. Right. Right. <laughs> um, they thought that much about it where they had to invent names for it. I'm like, Oh my God, it's incredible. Um, but at the same time, it's a movie where I feel like it, you've had the benefit of it with your two and a half, two, three quarter, three and a half viewings where I'm like, I need this a, thir- a third time to kind of catch on to everything that's going here. Because um, a lot of it, I feel like in movies, we, t- we talk about understanding what things mean by character reaction, right? So you'll, you'll have a dialogue scene where someone is confessing their love. And the camera will switch between on a one-two shot um, between the person confessing and the person hearing. And the person will react to hearing this news and then you'll understand what it means to them. But in this movie, I feel like as so much of it is spent while Colin Farrell is learning these things, it's he's in this um, 
technology memory bank of Yang. And we're not seeing so much his reaction to learning these things. It's us experiencing this along with Colin Farrell is why this movie, I feel, is so interesting because it becomes our own process of coming to understand what these things mean rather than us being like, oh, Colin Farrell is learning that this man had a woman that he cared about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, when I when I went back and revisited it, it's not like, it didn't make more sense. It's not like the first time I didn't get it, for sure. Um, and it's not even like I could pick up on technical cues. Like, it's not like I could see things like, you know, there, there's there's a running thing going on out there right now about the Batman where somebody has pointed out, if you look at one shot, you can see the Riddler in the window the whole time. Um, you know, it's, it's nothing like that. Like I'm not looking at like reflections and like, Oh, look, there she was. It's nothing like that. It's all much more just getting deeper and deeper into the world of this techno sapien, the family, the daughter, um, the people that come before, you know, that we, we got this, um, you know, this whole other family and person he cared about played by Haley Lou Richardson, this, this girl named Ada, who is also a synthetic, but a synthetic based on a real person. So we had a synthetic find another synthetic that was based on a person who he used to know that whole idea of basically a techno searching the afterlife for somebody who they connected with on their first go round. Like that's a very, very spiritual thing to assign to technology because that is what a lot of us are taught is you have this life and then when this life ends, you're going to go on to something else and you're going to find the people who went before you and you're going to wait for the people who come after and yada, 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 yada. And it's all in various different, you know, formats and structures depending on what you believe. But we've never assigned that to tech. Like we've never had tech look for not even just their other, not not just their owner, like not like a pet coming home, you know, like, cause like, oh, look, the dog got lost, but it found its way back home. But tech making a connection with a living person and finding it in another form, you know, now it's also tech. That's actually just really, really beautiful to weave into this movie just so gently. The only problem is the all the scientists thought they could, but they never asked. Oh, I should they? I love saying that. That's my that's one of mine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this movie uses the analogy of grafting, especially with horticulture and with plants, um, of bringing together two different species of um, of plant to make something new. I think it does it well. Uh, it, it's it's not exactly the subtlest um metaphor <laughs> out there i mean it's it's the thing i think about a lot um people discuss um identity and they they steep it in where you're living who who your parents are yeah. where where you grew up and at the same time people question where where you came from sure um, where they're like, you don't look like that thing I know you're supposed to be, which is the same conversation they're having in the movie where they're like, who are your real parents? Right, which is right. a stupid, insular, stupid question. Um, and at the same time, the concept of the identity being a specific thing that we've all decided on, it's these 10 buckets, is kind of silly. Um, and 
to have to explain this to a child who is like, someone told me they're 10 buckets. Like, which one am I in? And you're like, you're kind of not really. You kind of just have to figure it out yourself. <laughs> and we did this thing, grafting, where like we just plopped you into our family and you liked us, so thumbs up to you. <laughs> so now you just kind of figure out who you are now. <laughs> it's always hard to explain these kinds of things to kids. And it is a thing that continues to evolve, right? Like every passing year, something about identity changes and somebody out there throws a new qualifier or a new label or something at it. You know, we certainly have Mika with her questions about identity and Yang trying to explain it to her in terms of this tree that's had branches grafted to it to make something new. Um, you know, we're, we're constantly eating plants and vegetables and fruits that are something new that somebody out there has created by fusing together different things. You know, it's it's not something that's bad or something that is, you know, needs to hang over somebody, but it's it's hard to explain. And this movie wants to do that even with Yang, right? Like Yang on the one hand is a synthetic person, but on the other hand, it's like maybe he's not a techno sapien. A techno sapien. I'm how sorry. dare you? How dare you mislabel? But him. also, maybe he's not because he's been through a few lives and he's touched a few different families. So now he's got all of this carrying around inside of him. So he's but, he's something different. But the question I think you're not asking is you're looking at it from the perspective of what is Yang in relation to this family. I think the more important question is what did this family get from Yang, right? As Yang grafted into this family, this family started as just a a hodgepodge of people who came together and they were doing their best to the point where they bought an older sibling to be like, hey, check out, keep an eye on my daughter or something. Um, and who are they now as we meet them? Because we didn't see them when they when they bought a sibling right. for their child. Right. right. Who are they now? But these feeling people who are in touch with each other and constantly checking in, making sure everybody is understanding what's emotionally going on in the moment. And I can only imagine that Yang is the graft that made that. Yeah. In the hands of a lesser movie, it would be a very clumsy metaphor. Like a, it borders on being insulting, but in the hands of this movie, it's actually quite elegant and applies to so many different things. Not just Mika, like it's not just yeah. yo kid, you're something different. You know, it's saying that mm. in the world we can be and create and experience things that are different because they are a fusion of other things. Throw in a couple of random Chinese facts, and you've got you've got the job. There we go. Uh, this movie also uses the metaphor of tea. I have never wanted a Werner Herzog movie to exist as much as I want to watch the fictional movie about Werner Herzog looking for tea. I'm not going to lie. Um, the tea part just went over me. Like I thought at first that it was just some way to kind of give you a reason that Colin Farrell had a connection to Chinese culture. Sure. Um, the, the, you know, teas in China, like yeah. maybe like he even kind of gives that vibe, like throughout the entire movie, everything about him feels like he's like, I just want to be an Asian culture. Right. Right. <laughs> and then I, they have the scene where he talks about tea, which it's interesting if and only because I feel that way about a lot of things, right? Not specifically tea, but that could be for anyone. So you could, anything could give you that vibe where you're like, you, you think about its connection to the thing that came before it and how we how it got to you. 
Um, but at the same time, it never really felt integral. It never felt deeply important to me, his whole thing with T. I don't know. This is another movie that really wants to combine, or I guess graft, if we're going to go back to that metaphor, uh, analog and tech. Like, and the T is very much in that, but you've got a 35 millimeter camera. You've got a whole aesthetic that looks very, very photographic. Like this is, this is very, very much a faded, uh, 1980s, 1970s color palettes of this whole movie. And you've got this guy who doesn't believe in crystals or certainly doesn't believe in like in modern culture, like in our culture, modern, you know, like in this, in the, in the scape of this movie is the past, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because Mitski is still a thing. Um, but um, <laughs> she made it. She made she, it. She got us. it. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't believe in like, you know, coffee pods. He's the kind of guy who believes in the ritual of making your tea or your coffee because that has meaning and connects you in a deeper way. Um, it's It's funny because I don't think that a lot of people have actual connections to their food and drink you know like a lot of people just kind of want to pop the top and slug it back because they need refreshment they don't really want to think about where it came from or how it tastes and i mean it's funny because even colin farrell in the movie he even says i don't i i I acquired a taste he's like that's that's the strange thing about this dude he didn't get into tea because he liked the taste of it he's like i like the story i like the idea that this thing traveled across the world and I can become a part of that part of the world that it came from, uh, both in how I consume it and how I prepare it. Yang kind of goes down the rabbit hole with that saying that, you know, there's no language to explain the nature of tea. Um, it's just, you just, you taste it and it just is. Um, and yet the movie doesn't linger too long on it. You know, it's, it's a few minutes and then away they go. The thing about it though, is that, I get that. I get the the wanting to not be into the thing, but wanting to be into the routine of it. So many of my things are now that, like from keyboards to how how my desk is laid out to using a microphone like this rather than my headset. Like it's just so much more understanding what I'm intending to do. Same thing with just going to a movie theater, which you know, hopefully one day I can do again. Right. What does this character have to tend with with this technology now? Right? Is it is it a question where at the end of the movie he's like, oh, that connection is true even in the modern age, right? It's not just for this thing where Werner Herzog found tea in the in the, in the mud and brought it back to me, right? In the in the fields of Kilimanjaro, mm-hmm. right? Um, but yeah, I, I just I guess what I like about that is. A lesser movie would linger. A lesser movie would be like, the T is the whole point, man. Like, you know, like you would get a whole Room 237 movie on the meaning of the T, you know. You'd probably say T a lot more. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you would, you know, like, or there would be like a closing shot of a cup of tea or something like that. But it's just, it's a moment to better understand um, Colin Farrell and his whole life like he runs this business it's obviously not doing banger business because the mother at one point says um 
you know, uh, Kira at one point when she's talking to Mika, she's like, daddy was busy at the store and that's a good thing. You know, like you could tell the way she says that it's like this shop don't bring in a whole lot of money, you know, or the same way that we see the one woman come in at the beginning and she's looking for crystals. And he's like, yeah, we don't do that. You know, you know that this is not a, 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 a really profitable business, but yet it's something that he cares about and something that he believes the rest of the world wants. So kind of in that big night way of, I want to make authentic Italian food for these rural New Jersey people. He believes it, you know, and I guess because he believes it and Yang can recognize that, like he wants to believe it too. Is this when I admit I've still not watched big night? Really? Oh man, you enjoy the shit. All right, moving on. Um, Another thing I really enjoy about this movie. um, This again, details that I picked up more and more rewatching it is I love these little blips where lines are spoken two or three times in a row, but there's a slightly different emphasis on each one. Oh, the Malik effect then. There's a lot of faux Malik out there. There's a lot of faux Malik <laughs> out there. A lot, a lot. Some of it really effective. A lot of it really not. Um, this film is never actually trying to be faux Malik, even though I will talk about Malik later. So thanks for spoiling that. Um, but this film, you'll you know you'll be watching um, Mika and uh, Jake talking, and he'll say something like, "Do you want a glass of water?" And then it'll blip back again, and he'll say, "Do you want a glass of water?" And then one more time, and he'll say, "Do you want a glass of water?" I I loved that it's 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 over and over, but the cadence is slightly different each time because it really plays on this theme of memory and how we all remember shit slightly differently. I mean, yeah, because it's it's almost like the same scenes he's having where he's going through Yang's memories and you see him rewind, replay. And I think those were the same scenes, but it never felt the same watching it a second time whenever he pulled it back. Um, yeah, those ones matched. Mm-hmm. But in the moments that we are live, you know, there's a slight different in like it, it usually follows two or three in a row. It's like a bang, bang, bang. And you hear the people say it ever so slightly different. And I loved the way I, I just love that little subtle wink that we're talking about a movie that's talking about nostalgia and talking about memory and talking about the things that we believe are worth remembering, which is a whole other conversation about what yang decides to capture in terms of this is memorable um but how even in those moments um you can end up kind of shifting the angle ever so slightly beginners did this as well at the very beginning of the movie when um christopher Plummer is talking to ewan mcgregor and he says i'm gay he's like no my father wasn't in a dress shirt he was in a sweater you know, and he, so he says it again, and this time he's in the sweater. He's like, I'm gay. This movie does that over and over and over, and it's not, it's never anything deeply important. It's not somebody telling another person they love them. It's not another person telling another person that they, they need to go. It's just these little moments that you hear ever so slightly different, and that reminds you that your mam- your memory is fallible. It's definitely a film that lingers on that. I wonder... I don't know why the thought just came to me. I wonder what animal they get at the end of this movie from Mika. <laughs> right? Do you think that fish is alive? No. I don't... <laughs> no. 
it's it's an incredible film. It's 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 one of those movies where I know it's great, but at the same time, I'm still I'm still wrestling with do I really love this movie or is it a movie where I loved the experience of thinking about these things? No, I right? th- I think I think you loved this movie. I think that I think that its warmth was something that we probably wanted. I think that it's certainly it's fusion of tech and analog is something that we wanted. I think the whole aesthetic of the movie, like this really, really warm and gentle look to something that is very, you know, like it it could be very cold. Like this movie could be very, very remote and, and just like out of arm's reach, but it, but in doing, in approaching it in a very analog manner in, in these, a lot of oranges and yellows and browns. Um, it makes the whole thing a lot more comfortable and and lets you it brings you into that world. As I say, as I say at the beginning, this movie is a movie of vibes, and it gave me those vibes. It was a movie of non-judgmental just introduction. Right? There are lots of movies where you walk into them and they have their ethos, they have their they have their hypothesis already set up. And they're like, how dare you question my hypothesis? Um, this is a movie very much where you bring your own feelings to it. And it just in- it introduces you to that world. And I quite like that. Yeah. And then in the middle of it all, um, one last point is that y- when Yang is talking to um, Kira and they're talking uh, of the nature of how things end, um, and because Yang is a collector of butterflies. One more little analog hobby, you know, to go along with things like tea. Um, He talks about how what a caterpillar calls the end, the rest of the world calls a butterfly. I, I, you know, it's interesting because on the one hand, this is a movie about endings and about letting things go. And on the other hand, it does not have a concrete ending. You know, I'm a person who actually believes in endings like i don't enjoy things that go on and on and on and on and on i say this as a person who reads comic books you know and and actually does struggle with characters who just go on and on and on and on for decades and basically stuck in stasis um i prefer in most of my media whether they're books films television whatever i like a story to have a beginning a middle and an end and yet a lot of people don't they just want things to go on and on and on and on and you know yang is here to say not only do things n- cannot go on and on and on but there is a beauty in when they don't i mean i don't think i don't think what we're talking about is the same because the this movie has an ending i think the movie has the ending problem that a lot of other movies have which is that in any other movie there's an quote unquote ending like there's a resolution to the problem um but there's there's this I don't remember where I heard this first, but there's this quote I heard where um, basically in any story, when it gives you that ending, there's a version of that story where five minutes later, everything blows up, (laughs) right? Right. Where like, this is just the good version for right now. But if we were to stay with these characters for another five minutes, there'd be something that blows everything out of the water and you'd find out that they didn't get the resolution you thought they did. And so much about this movie when it ends is... It ends in a way where 
I feel a lot of movies do this, but they do it in a different for a different reason where they ask you like, what do you think happened to the characters? Right? Do you think she stabbed the man or do you think they walked away happily? Right. Um and I feel like this movie ends in that manner where it's like there's no more information they can give you. It's now the movie's now in your head, right? And what you decide happens next is up to you. Right? It's what you took away from the movie. Did you take away that this family is now in a position to progress positively? Do you think that they're going to sit and mourn Yang for another five years and cause it to end their entire relationship structure? Um, and I mean, I know where I fall on it, but I feel like that in itself is an end, right? It, there, there's no more movie they could give you to make that any better or worse or concrete. No, no. I, but it's just, again, we're talking about a media where you know, the ending is sometimes, and then they buried Yang, you know, like there, 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 there are a lot more commercial and straightforward endings to this movie beyond Mika singing Mitski to her dad, who has just found inner peace in what he did not know about his techno sapien son. Uh, I think I spent three minutes Googling for that song. <laughs> um the but it's 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 also the type of movie you're talking about yeah right where like the type of movie that has that ending doesn't give us the vibes movie that we got no. throughout no it's it, right but but there's there's a lot of people out there who would want that kind of thing there's a lot of people out there who don't want a movie that just ends five minutes before the world blows up you know they they <laughs> they want to know but what about Yang? I didn't give a crap because I didn't think that's what this movie was about. It actually, by its very title, is not what this movie is about. But for a lot of people out there, they would be thrown off with this kind of ending of, you know, catharsis reached in a very personal way. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we end the review section here on the matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. Andrew Robinson, after Yang, what are you keeping from this movie? I always forget this part. <laughs> it's almost like I emailed you before we started. Can I take the engineer's work desk? Right. That when... really like <laughs> chaotic workbench with all kinds of drawers with little parts and. Yeah, bear bulb. Like, okay, sure. Yeah. Where the more and more these days, like especially in the work from home space, where we're all at home and we don't have our like specific designed spaces for work. Like I, I think more and more about how you want those spaces where you can have things that are designed not necessarily for life, but for for like function, and where you have a, a nook for every cranny. And just seeing that image of Yang opened out on the table where he's just like looking over and being like, yo, dog, there's a thing in here. And I'm telling you, it ain't good. <laughs> like, I'm like, that's my desk. I think <laughs> what I like about that is it reminds me of when I used to work the front desk at a, at a shop like that. And when I'd go back to talk to the technician, um, he knew where everything was. He could find a singular fuse in a room that was, oh God, uh, at least like 12 feet by 20 feet, just floor to ceiling crap. He could find a singular 12 volt fuse inside of 10 seconds. If I would be looking for it, I would be there all day. But he knew exactly where in the mess it was because it all to him had a system. 
right? Even though it was messy and even though shit was like half done all over the place, he understood it all. Like that is the one thing I do love and respect about any technician is they walk into their shop and it makes complete organizational sense to them, which is all that's important. All that's important. Yeah. And the and the hell that breaks loose when someone moves something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, don't do that. Um, well, for me, my souvenir, I'm actually kind of surprised this wasn't yours, and you did tap on it earlier. I want that game. I want that dance game that the families play. <laughs> the families that you don't even see again for the rest of the movie. Um, I, I, I want to play that game. I want to compete against other families and keep in sync and wear matching outfits. Um, that, that game seemed like a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good idea. Like I, I question more about like how it works if and only for like when they tapped out, like, does it tell you like you are in the 10th percentile? <laughs> I think it, it was saying like, as you go along, like it was like X percent families eliminated X percent families eliminated. Yeah, so yeah, but like when they got cut off, it was very, it was very abrupt. It's like you're out. Ah, <laughs> they didn't get like you, a final. So they didn't get a final yeah, score. You don't know if you're like ten from the end or or like 10, 20, 000 from the end. Yeah, okay, we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Andrew Robinson after Yang, what are we giving this movie? I'm giving it a three and a half. It feels, it feels like it'll go up, but I, I quite, I quite enjoyed my time with it. I'm. You know what? This is a four for me, really and truly. Like this is a movie I really loved my time with. I really, I, I wish it is playing in a theater locally. I wish I had gone and see it in a theater and really been able to sit in the dark with this movie because I feel like a lot of it would have hit me full force that first time. But I really love everything about this movie and I want to see more. It's 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 interesting because the first film that this director made, I wasn't as deeply emotionally connected to like his films are a little cold uh, emotionally, but this one I was much more invested in. This is a four star movie for me. I will be talking about this again at the end of the year. Um, Hey, maybe you hate this movie. Maybe you watch it and you think it's about nothing. Maybe you love this movie. Maybe you think it's a modern classic. Let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca Twitter, where I am matinee underscore CA or facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think of after Yang? We are going to take a quick break here on the matinee cast. We will be right back to flip the record over and play the other side right after this. We are back. It's Matt and Acast 284. We've been talking about After Yang. He's Andrew Robinson. I'm Ryan McNeil. This is the other side. It's the moment where we uh, suggest some further viewing, further reading, further exploration of themes discussed in the uh, main selection for the day. Uh, Andrew, why don't you get us started? What was a film that you thought about to go on to after Yang? <laughs> so after Yang, what you should do is you should go to Ying. Um, <laughs> Clever. That's good. No, no. Um, so I was thinking a lot about memories. And there are many movies we can talk about where people go into each other's memories, um, where people talk about their past, where they interconnect. But I was thinking more about a movie in which these memories give you that vibe. They give you that palate, that, that like palpable sensation of like living there. And I thought as well, what anime can I talk to Ryan about yes. so that he can hear more about anime? You know... So I- <laughs> 
So I came to you to say, hey, have you ever watched Millennium Actress from 2002 directed by Satoshi Kon? I believe I have. I believe that was actually part of the syllabus that was <laughs> built for me back when I first got into anime. I, I believe that was one of the movies that I was given. Oh, so, yeah. No, I've seen it. All right. All right. Damn it. So. Ah. Uh, strike one. Um, Millennium Matrix, nonetheless. Um, it is, it's a film directed by Satoshi Kon. As Ryan has mentioned, I've talked about him already on the matinee. Um, it is about an actress. She is aged, and a group of documentary documentarians have appeared at her home to interview her, to talk about her career and her life. And as she's talking about these things, it immediately jumps you to like whatever she's discussing and it completely intertwines her memory of reality and the movies she was making at the time the way Khan edits and like goes back and forth between sequences this is actually a movie i hadn't seen up to like around three or four years ago i went and i watched it at the review with of course kurt halfyard who appeared with his children where i'm like oh you're here too That's <laughs> like, yeah of course yeah. i am yeah I immediately fell deeply in love with this movie as it, it at the time was like the last Satoshi Kon film I hadn't seen. It's a movie that makes you feel these memories more than just seeing crazy story anecdotes happen. And I feel like that is the the legacy of After Yang, which is that you feel these memories. I will admit that when it came time to explore these movies for the first time that we mapped out the approach to to do it like i i may part of it may have just been dumb luck or part of it may i know part of it was availability but i know that millennium actress i want to i feel like it was actually one of the earlier ones that i started with it wasn't in the very very first round um because that was things like spirited away but it i i I went there in the second round when i started getting into movies like uh grave of the fireflies and um oh depression porn yeah five (laughs) five centimeters per second uh, that kind of thing. If you've seen Five Sense Means Per Second, you've seen a Makoto Shinkai film. Well, he did Paprika too, right? Um, Satoshi Kon did Paprika. Okay. Um, his other big movie that you should watch if you've never seen it is called Tokyo Godfathers. As you being a favor of loving Christmas movies that aren't about Christmas. Yeah, I love those. Tokyo Godfathers. Done. On it. Um, weird. I skimming through my my anime syllabus. Uh, I can't actually find the entry about uh, Millennium Actress, but I do remember seeing it. Um, anybody who uh, has access to such a thing, it's actually on Hoopla. So if anybody wants to watch it for free, it's there. I'll I'll revisit it because I do I do remember enjoying it, um, and I do remember seeing it. The one thing I do remember about that corner of my my intro into anime was understanding that anime could be several different things. You know, I was a little bit more used to I was used to the crazier corner of okay. of anime and the, the the corner that's a little bit more adult, shall we say. I wasn't used to the stuff that's much more emotional, um, that's much more magical, that, that is also much more um contemplative uh that that you and um and other people like you um 
happily pushed me towards. Um, so thank you again for that in case I've never said so out loud. Um, my first other side is a far easier connection um, that I think everybody's going to make when they first watch this movie. I went back uh, to 2014 um, to a director who I first encountered as an author, um, but as a director actually has a new film coming out uh, this month that I'm really looking forward to. Um, I went back to 2014 to Alex Garland's Ex Machina. (laughs) I love this movie so much. I can't wait for his new thing. No, me neither. (laughs) um it's like it's another a24 movie like after yang was a24 this movie was a24 it's it's strange because they've in a24 as a brand in some ways has kind of been eclipsed by neon like neon is the is the studio these days that got stuff like um portrait of a lady on fire and parasite and last year they got things like pig and um the worst person in the world but a24 when i see that logo come up i'm still really excited you know i i don't i don't need to know anything else just splash that logo and i want to see it um this movie actually is far more commercial than a lot of the other things that they do um with a now rather big cast because it's got donald gleason alicia vikander and oscar isaac front and center um alicia vikander playing a synthetic person and donald gleason and oscar isaac trying to decide is she human you know like techno sapien yeah it's a techno sapien they're trying to run basically they're trying to run turin tests to find out how human is she you know and and see if she can emotionally pass like they know that she can physically pass that part this is not to be discussed it's is she human enough? Is she empathetic enough? Is she caring enough? And they throw all these crazy tests at her. And of course, you know, shit goes sideways from there. I love the hell out of this movie. This is one of my favorite movies from the last decade. If only to watch Oscar Isaac dance, all of the scenes between Isaac and Gleason and Gleason and Vikander, the look of it, the vibe of it. It's another one of these ones that's, very cold, but still very comforting. I, I Oh, this movie's amazing. I've not watched that movie in a long time. I find myself more recently not making time to rewatch movies, and that upsets me sometimes. It's the kind of thing I do in the evening. Like, if I've got an hour before bed, it's the kind of thing where, like, I'll put on an hour of Ex Machina, or I'll put on an hour. Of, I think last night I fell asleep watching... The last picture show. So I don't necessarily watch them end to end, but I'll, I'll put them on and, and do other things. I do prefer to watch new stuff, but it's, it's the kind of thing where I, you know, I have them on while I'm doing other things or, or I'll do it for something like this. Ex Machina is out there. People can, it's on prime. It's, it's also on hoopla. Uh, I, I seem to be pushing hoopla today. I don't know why. Um, oh. libraries, man. They're not just for books anymore. You, you and clips. Yeah. Um, that's it. Uh, what else you got as a, as a companion film that could go along with After Yang? Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you because I don't have another oh. one. I have a I have a series okay. I'll take that it. I wanted to talk about, what you got? Um, which you can find on Netflix before you go and you go and tell people where to watch it. Is it, it on Hoopla? Um, it, I don't know. You'd have to double check. For me. Um, it's a it's a series um, that came out in 2018 um, called Violet Evergarden. It is a anime produced by kyo annie are you just trying to find excuses to talk about anime probably 
Right. You know, this kind of follows more of the traditional tech techno sapien storyline in which so it's actually not a techno sapien this is more of a android individual like i don't remember what's our words for this android or cyborg like somebody who's got like some prosthetics um like was once a human but now has many many hu many non-human parts gotcha. um and, but she has forgotten her entire past and she is then thrust into this world where she just kind of has to find out how to live and she ends up taking a job at a at a post office where she helps write letters for people who don't know how to write, who are illiterate, or don't know how to express what they want to say to another person. Very much similar to like the role, the job that um, Joaquin Phoenix did in her. Okay. Right. Um, and it's a very um, Gilded Age sort of setting. So she's like, anime does this shit where they just have like tech in like olden day looking things gotcha <laughs> and it just works they just go like deal with it <laughs> um <laughs> um so like lots of crazy dresses lots of like baronesses and stuff like that it's a show that dealt with the same concept of who are you after this emo after this moment in life who are you when these memories come one by one and how do you deal with it and it's a show also, if anyone here is like a big anime person, KyoAni makes fucking incredible looking shows. Their work is in is incredible. And I don't know if you heard this story, like around three years ago, there was a huge fire which people died at the studio. Um, so it was a huge tragedy um, where it was in, in, insane and people were assuming they would not be able to come back from this, but they have, and it's incredible. And I always love a way to tell people to go and watch KyoAni work because... Their work is insane. Um, so yeah, Val's Evergarden. There's a whole series. I think they did a movie, which I actually didn't watch the movie that's supposed to go after the show. Um, I kept meaning to, but I never got onto it. Um, but it's an incredible series. It's beautiful. It's more techno sapiens in my mind. And yeah, go watch Kiyoani stuff. How many <laughs> how many seasons is this thing? There's only one oh, season. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. You see me? Like, mm -hmm. I, I was saying, I enjoy things that have an end. So if you're telling me it's one season and a movie, yeah, I can totally do that. If you tell me it's a show that's been going for like 10 years and no. No, no. okay. Like, like, you need to go down the Shonen route to kind of get into those shows, which no, I try to avoid. Listen, in general, man, like, I cannot tell you how many people have tried to get me into Supernatural. And I'm like, how many seasons is this? You, like, have, to, you, have, to, you have to get hooked onto that crack early. Things need to end. <laughs> So my other other side uh, is is probably the easiest pull of all. It's how do you take something, um, you know, philosophic and esoteric like after Yang that is so sweet and compact and self-contained after Yang. I love the fact that it's like 95 minutes, you know, and it's brisk that this movie for for as thoughtful and contemplative as this movie wants to be for a movie that wants to wonder about the meaning of life in a pot of tea it moves happily the opposite of that a film that really takes its time and is really in no rush to go anywhere 2011 we mentioned terrence malick earlier on the tree of life oh i love that movie so much me too <laughs> still do uh I, I keep coming back to it it is so friggin' gorgeous. This is the kind of film that I throw on to like test the TV. I've asked you in the past, like, what do you, what do you bench test 
your monitors with, or what do you bench test your earphones with uh, into the spider verse? Okay. I'll take your word for it. Um, tree of life for me is one of those ones that I use to bench test a TV and look at it both in terms of the effects stuff, like all the universe uh, moments in that kind of second chapter and all of the natural world stuff. I think what's interesting about this movie is I loved the holy hell out of it the year that it arrived. It was my favorite movie that year. There was a lot of talk at the time about how it was really contemplative, make you do the work bullshit. Like it would show you an image of the wind blowing through the trees and you were supposed to do the work deciding what it meant. That is true. However, what I love about this movie is that after this, Malik decided to keep going down that road and showing, no, 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 this was where he should have stopped. This was the very edge of how far he could push that stuff after he had already gone through, you know, um, Thin Red Line and the New World. He got to this and this was him going as far as he really could with what can I make people think about as they watch water run past but he didn't stop there. He kept going with stuff like Knight of Cups and To the Wonder and even and Song to Song. And there's another one that I'm forgetting. Um, and Yeah, the World War II one, which I, I went. I remember that movie because I went to watch it in January. Not the Thin Red Line. January. You're not thinking about Thin Red Line. No, no, no. The, the, it was, oh, it was um, the, oh, what's it called? A hidden life, the World War Two movie, the life? Hitler movie, a hidden life. Yeah. yeah, no, I still, I haven't, I haven't even seen that. And this is the thing, because this guy has made me stare at trees and do all of the lifting for myself. I'm like, I'm not interested anymore. That movie's easy to find everywhere. It's probably on Hoopla. I, I can find it everywhere. I still haven't seen it because he's taken me too far in that direction. This was the sweet spot. We didn't even realize it at the time that this movie that was very much a poem after Yang also very much a poem that he would get, you know, far more poetic, but it would be poems that we don't want to hear. It's weird because Terrence Malick was someone that I, I fell in love with. And it was that point, like that, that movie was the last one. And even, even tree of life. Like, I don't think I really liked it the first time I saw it. Like I, it was, it was one of those where I'm like, no, he's gone too far. Um, but I, I, I love the movie now, but more important, the thing I, the thing I always loved about Terrence Malick was his construction of his work where you could tell very much so that like filming on the day must feel like doing a play where he says, all right, everybody queue up and people would be like, all right, who are you shooting now? And he's like, no, all you guys just pretend like we're at a playhouse and I'm just going to walk through. And then you guys are doing your scene. I see. Christian Bale's over there eating pasta. I'm going to go over and check him out, <laughs> which doesn't fit into the new world because they don't have pasta yet. But you know what? I'm going to go check on them. Um, and he, and then he somehow takes all of this film construction and then makes the end product, which seems magical to me, right? Like, it seems like, I don't know if like he had the greatest editors in the world who could finally kick him out and be like, no, we're going to make this work. <laughs> or if or whatnot but it just that sort of process seems incredible that it ever worked to me yeah right and now we're just seeing that as you say being pushed further and further and probably not working anymore not probably it doesn't work anymore and i you know he apparently he uh, he has even started to recognize this and he does 
want to get more narrative, but I don't know how narrative this guy can get. I just, I don't know if that's in his wheelhouse. Let him watch Badlands a few times. Yeah. You know, like, yo dude, watch days of heaven where you were in and out in 90 minutes and you still made a bloody beautiful movie. Tree of life. Still love it. I still love what it makes me think about. I still love how it can do that both in the natural world and the physical world. Um, You know, watching these people, uh, talk to each other again a, a film that talks about memory and nostalgia in ways that are not necessarily like honey tinted the way some nostalgic films can be um yeah I, I love that movie last thing i want to talk about sure um and i'm gonna i'm gonna look you in the eye now and i need you to believe me it will not be anime i don't believe you do you believe nope. me nope all right cool um the last movie i had to select if and only because i'm like i need a third one and I need it to be good. So what movie do I know in which people carry around dead bodies? Just just, just lackadaisically. Um, and of course, I'm going to... My childhood, probably I'm guessing you're, you're like 30s. Um, why? Why? I, Wait, what, why? <laughs> um, 1989's Weekend of Bernie's. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. <laughs> What makes a podcast better if not talking around carrying around a dead body because people are coming to assassinate you? <laughs> Just that image of... I, I had that image in my head of Colin Farrell with Yang over his shoulder and him just like lifeless, just being carried around this entire movie. And I'm like, I know what movie I can think of to talk about. You know, I feel like this kind of movie is actually not really getting made anymore. Uh, so I was watching last week or the week before because you commented on it on twitter i was watching uh what was the movie i was watching with kevin klein it was it was i love you to death i mean the movie is made by lawrence kasdan of all people like the dude who did the, the guy who did body heat and the big chill accidental tourist he does this silly little frivolous comedy about a pizzeria owner and his wife and the wife wants to kill him because she catches him stepping out on their marriage and the, and the hit just goes so awry that kind of movie or a movie about two bros who carry around a dead body so that they can you know get away with their scheme i don't feel like these are getting made now you know like i, I kind of feel like we decided to tap out <laughs> after hot tub time machine they're they're, oh. they're not and there is a silly fun stupid harmless place for these movies on the landscape um that are the kind of thing that you would throw on for 90 minutes and just you know smile yourself silly when you don't want to spend 90 minutes with after yang us talking about silliness my brain just went to um a fish called wanda yeah I'm like i haven't watched that in so long i need to watch it now. i it's it's been far too long yeah Asshole! Yeah, no, it's just, you know, these kinds, these are the kinds of movies, I, I, you know, we spent a long time, two episodes ago, going on and on and on about how people aren't going to get a chance to get out and see everything everywhere all at once because it's so hard to find and whatnot. But even just these little harmless comedies are the kinds of things that aren't getting made as much. It's like if a movie doesn't make 400 million, it makes nothing. You know, that's that to me in in the in the grand scheme of things is is part of what i miss these kinds of things like the after yangs and the and the everything everywhere all at once they will always find a way to get made these really arty really heady movies they will always have their ways but the studios cranking out stuff like weekend at bernie's you're not going to see those 
I still haven't seen everything because it's not here. It's not at home yet. No, um, but, but I have. I have enjoyed the internet reminding the world that there was a multiverse movie led by an Asian that was came out in the two thousands called The One, which I have because Jet Li. Oh, that movie. Oh, boy. <laughs> I was about to say I have not. Yes, I have. <laughs> I remember going to the theater to watch that movie. Of course, you, movie did. Of course being... you did. <laughs> Going to your favorite place, Carib, and just being like, "Oh, this is so bad." I need to go there. I want to plan a trip when the world is safe again. I'm going. I'm going to Jamaica. And I'm going to Carib. Yes, I need to see this. There's no way it's as bad as you're all making it out to be. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. That is episode 284 of the Matinee Cast. I am so thankful that Andrew Robinson was able to come by. Andrew shenanigans can be found on gmansreviews.com and of course the unnamed movie podcast. Do you have something coming up? Um, we're planning to do an episode on Raging Fire, the latest Donnie Yen Hong Kong action movie. Awesome. Um, so that should be coming out like a little after this. So, yeah. Awesome. And if people want to hear you yelling about Menu on Twitter? Um, I'm at Gman Reviews. Very nice. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them in all the old familiar places, Google, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry and Apple, and some other places like TuneIn, Radio Public, CastBox, Podchaser, all sorts of things. Uh, if I have not named a pod platform of your choice, first of all, how are you hearing me? Second of all, uh, let me know. I'll put it there. It's real simple. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on After Yang can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email ryan at thematinee.ca. On Twitter, I am matinee underscore ca. And there's always Facebook, facebook.com slash darkmatinee. No, it's called metal. It's called metal. I know. I do. I, I do know. Nobody's listening at this point. Two, three episodes ago, I offered five bucks for the first person who claimed it. At this point in the show, nobody asked for it. <laughs> Any final thoughts, Mr. Robinson? Um, I'm upset right now because as we've been talking, I've been going on websites and a fish called Wanda Blu-ray is out of print and I can buy it for $62 and I'm questioning myself. I'm like, should I? That's, that's been my, that's been my life. I, I really need to slow down my retail therapy. Um, I should also, by the way, state that I found it really funny that you looked me in the eye on this podcast, but I was still a little bit, sorry, to your left. You looked me in the eye for you, but not for me. Hmm. <laughs> There you go. There, yeah, there. The yeah, there. Now you're looking me in the eye. See, this is this is film direction 101. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, it's where we're at now. For Andrew, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee. <laughs>